0: Hello, this is Dr. Gary Miller, President of the University of Akron. We are honored to have you listen to our podcast series, Diverse Engineering, Women Engineers Through the Decades, which would not be possible without the generous support of our gold sponsors, Bridgestone Americas, Continental Contatech, and the GPD Group. Together with our community partners, we at the University of Akron are committed to the success of students from around the world and in our own backyard. We are especially proud of the contributions and successes that have resulted from the hard work, determination, and dedication of our women engineering students. Please enjoy our podcast.
1: Welcome to Diverse Engineering. A podcast celebrating the contributions, stories and voices of those who have been historically excluded and thus underrepresented in the fields of engineering. My name is Ebony Bond and I am a 2018 mechanical engineering graduate of the notable University of Akron and I will be your host for this podcast. This season is in honor of women in engineering through the last five decades You can expect to hear about the foundation that each woman's career was built on, their experience as a woman in engineering, and about their current lives and hopes for the future. This episode, titled Data Driven, features Connie Griffiths. Here's what you should know about Connie. In May of 2021, Connie Griffiths started a new job as a data product manager at Carfax. She now lives in Arlington, Virginia with her husband. Connie has held many non-traditional roles as an engineer, including business analyst, project design, data strategy, and product engineer roles. Connie graduated from the University of Akron in 2013 with a Bachelor's of Science in Civil Engineering and a minor in Business Administration. We look forward to sharing Connie's story and how she ended up exploring so many positions outside of engineering with an engineering degree. And definitely want to thank Connie for her time today and for representing the 2010s decade. So without further ado, we go ahead and kick off our conversation here today, Miss Connie. All right. In the longer bio that you sent, you said that the business side of engineering and the mountains drew you in. What do you mean by the mountains drew you in?
2: I had the opportunity to actually go out to the office, which was in Salt Lake City, Utah, for a day full of interviews for new hires. This was the first time I'd ever been out west. So we actually flew in in the evening and woke up the next morning for our interviews surrounded by mountains. And it was just a wonderful sight to see. And I was so excited about potentially an opportunity to live in a place where you can go to the mountains for the weekends after work. Just excited about that opportunity.
1: Oh, that's interesting. So it's like the work. Life balance piece that Yes the work life
2: balance for Mm -hmm. sure. Whenever you start your first job, being able to take some time for yourself as well is also really important. So that aspect of getting it to try different things outside of work was also really intriguing.
1: And what do you mean by the business side drew you in?
2: Throughout my program at the University of Akron in civil engineering, I was always interested in the bigger picture of things. I understood what you did in design and construction, but I really gravitated towards learning about how does the work that a civil engineer does fit in with a larger picture of the world or the projects of how do you actually go from designing something into implementing it into the world. Mm -hmm. So that's what kind of drew me into the business side, just taking a broader picture of the work that you do. Mm -hmm.
1: So that real world impact.
2: Yes, for sure.
1: So how did you end up majoring in civil engineering?
2: Yeah, I was first exposed to engineering through a high school math teacher who handed out a pamphlet for a an engineer for a day program. I had never really been exposed to engineers while growing up. So my teacher said, if you're good at math and science, check this out. So I did. And I actually happened to shadow a civil engineer that day. And I enjoyed it. So that was kind of the first thing that I said, hey, I think I want to be a civil engineer. And I was always intrigued by how things were built, watching lots of shows on TV about how things were made, fascinated by construction, projects around me. So that's kind of what drove Drove me into choosing civil engineering for my major.
1: That's interesting. So we kind of have a bit of a similar story in high school. My calculus teacher was like, "What are you going to do when you graduate?" And I was like, "I don't know." And she was like, "Well, yeah. you like science and you like math and you're good at both. You should do engineering." And I was like, "I don't want to be a train conductor." She's like, "Silly, <laughs> that's not what engineers do." And you know, here we are. So yeah, yeah,
2: yeah I think. That exposure at a young age definitely drew me in. I mean, if I didn't have had that, maybe I would have chosen something different. But I'm right. really glad that I had that opportunity to learn about what it was.
1: Right. Shout out to the high school math teachers. One yes. Time. So while you were in school, you were really involved. You were on the Concrete Canoe and Steel Bridge team, the American Society of Civil Engineers, the dean's team. You were involved in SWE. What was the most exciting part of all of those experiences here at the university? The-
2: yeah. So I was a bit of an overachiever. Okay. I love school. I love the programs. Actually, some of the design teams were some of the things that drew me into the University of Akron. Mm-hmm. In high school, I was always involved in other activities as well. And having opportunities outside of just the traditional learning environment to use those skills in practice was kind of one of the most interesting things about deciding that University of Akron was where I'd pursue my degree. So when I came to school, I started getting involved with our Steel Bridge team team, our concrete canoe team, and really, really enjoyed those experiences. It's Mm -hmm. so different to be able to go and cut some steel or make some measurements for things, mix some concrete, take that perspective of learning in a textbook into the real world. Mm -hmm. So those were some of the experiences that were really awesome right in the beginning, Mm -hmm. but over time being able to become part of the leadership of those teams. I was the president of ASCE for my senior year. So being able to use everything I've learned through those groups and take it into a leadership role was a really great experience. And also the people. I loved Mm -hmm. every single person on those Steel Bridge and Concrete Canoe teams. Mm -hmm. We had so much fun building connections that I still am best friends with one of the girls that I met who brought me into the Steel Bridge team the first day. So Mm -hmm. those relationships were really impactful.
1: You know, you say, like, what excited you, but what was the most rewarding part of that?
2: The most rewarding part, I think, would have to be seeing something go from design to finish. I Mm -hmm. think a lot of engineers like to see how they're making an impact in the world. Mm -hmm. So I think being able to actually be a part of a project, whether it was concrete canoe, from the design of what the mix was going to be, to putting it together, to actually racing your canoe and putting it into a presentation. I think the most rewarding part was seeing something front to back. As engineers, we thrive on that. So that was one of the most rewarding experiences, understanding how you can make an impact.
1: Yeah, I think whether you're on the business side or the engineering side, I think a lot of people have a desire also for that impact. So thank you for sharing You know, one of the ways that you were able to realize it on the engineering side as well. So you were involved in SWE, which I I should have said earlier, is the Society of Women Engineers. And you got a job as a result of the SWE conference, but not an engineering job. You got one as a business data analyst. Was that on your radar when you went into the conference in the career fair? You know, what was that process like? How did you actually end up getting a job in that field as an engineer?
2: yeah so the suite conferences were such a great experience you're exposed to so many different companies and i definitely went in looking at the list of all the civil engineering companies before i went in but one thing that the suite conferences do have is an opportunity for companies to host hospitality suites this company happened to have a hospitality suite which was some free foods so i was like hey why not let's go check this out but when i came into the suite my first question to them is, why are you at an engineering conference? I mean, you're an investment bank. But then they actually explained about why they hire engineers. They look specifically for diverse backgrounds and how they use those diverse backgrounds to support their business. And I had kind of an aha moment of, oh my gosh, that makes total sense. Mm -hmm. Whenever you're working on a project, all those different past experiences, bring new ideas to the table. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the first aha moment of maybe that's something I would like to do. Mm -hmm. And by this time I had already been in the middle of my business minor. So I knew business was something I would interested. So Mm -hmm. those are kind of the things that said, Hmm, I think this could be something I could pursue for my career.
1: In the last decade, you've actually had a diversity of positions outside of engineering, from being a data analyst, from project design, data strategy, and product engineering roles. Which one of those has been the most exciting for you and why?
2: The experience of all of those combined is what's the most exciting. When I started out as a data analyst, I got the opportunity to see how the business interacts with the data that my team was responsible for. So I got to see how the business used the data that I was working on. Then I moved into a project design. So when we have our creating data to support the business, we always wanted to automate things, remove some manual processes, make our lives easier, make Mm -hmm. the data more clean. So I got to see kind of how the workflows, how the technology works to support those things. Mm -hmm. And then I moved into even more technical roles. I taught myself SQL, learned how to read Java, got really technical with the support of our engineering team and got to see how the workflow's data is even curated and designed and supported. So I think seeing the whole front-to-back picture Mm -hmm. is now looking back the most exciting thing because now I can really understand how everything works, which again, that's what engineers like. They like to see how everything works. So looking at it holistically is the most exciting thing.
1: How do you feel like you use your civil engineering degree today? Is it more along the systems thinking or what would you say?
2: What I tell people is that. I may not use my traditional civil engineering skills. I'm not doing, you know, steel design or geotechnical work. But what I am mm-hmm. using is the problem solving skills that you learn as an engineer. Mm-hmm. So I say that I'm a trained problem solver. When I say it like that, that I'm a really good thinker problem solver, mm-hmm. it makes more sense of that's the engineering skills that I bring to life every day. Mm-hmm. And it's really what I excelled on within um, the business side of the world.
1: So speaking of the world, you've had all these different experiences, the mountain drew- you in? Where in the world has your work taken you?
2: So the company that I started with was a global company. That was one of the also things that was interesting is having an opportunity to work in a global environment. So with that, we had offices and different places in the world. When I would travel, I'd always try to stop in the office and work for a day. So I had the opportunity to work from New York, work from London. But I think the most interesting experience was that I had an opportunity to exchange roles with another data analyst at that time who worked in our Bangalore, India office. So Mm-hmm. I had an opportunity to work there for 6 months. It was really a neat experience. Mm-hmm. I got to learn a new job as a technical role. But Mm -hmm. I also got to experience a whole new culture. The main drive for that program was to expose those in that program to different cultures, Mm -hmm. to be able to work better with your colleagues and have a bit more perspective of what their lives are like, where they're coming from. So that was probably one of my most favorite experiences that I got to participate in. Living in a completely different place for six months really gives you an opportunity to really get a feel for what that culture is like. And now I bring that back to my day to day.
1: So you said they really wanted you to like learn other cultures and how other people lived. Was there anything that you learned from those experiences that you like couldn't have imagined that you would have gained?
2: Before starting in my first career, I had never really traveled outside of the U.S. So I think the biggest thing about traveling is that you're exposed to so many different things. I remember one of the first experiences I had in India, I had a coworker training me and they have different mannerisms and how they have a conversation with you. So for example, they may bob their head side to side when they're agreeing with you. Mm -hmm. But to my impression, I thought that was like a no response. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the most interesting things that I never would have thought that I would have been exposed to before. Everyone is so different, but You can really understand people and you can ask them questions. And sometimes you shouldn't feel awkward about asking questions about people's different culture. Most of the time, they're very willing to talk to you and explain where they're coming from.
1: Right. Yeah, it doesn't hurt to be to be curious and to gain more information, you know. And speaking of broadening your worldview, when you came into school as an engineer, what was your perception of what it meant for you to be studying engineering as a woman? Or did you have any preconceived notions of that?
2: When I first started, I knew it was going to be a lot of work, lots of math, lots of homework. I definitely was a little intimidated that I was coming into a male-dominated environment throughout my high school career. like It was pretty even with male-female ratios, but I was kind of nervous about entering an environment where I was going to be a minority in our genders. But one of the things that actually really helped me overcome that intimidation was that I had the opportunity to live in the dorms my first year and live on the women in engineering floor where I got to meet all the other women who are also kind of going through the same experience of being on the minority side of the genders within that environment. So we built strong relationships together to help us get through any situation that would come up.
1: That's really cool. So you still work in a field that's predominantly male. What is that like? Are there any challenges that you face or any stories that stick out to you in particular? So I think
2: one of the experiences that I had with my company is that because they celebrated diversity, they not only celebrated, but they went out and sought those different diversity. They also had a lot of gender diversity training, unconscious bias training. They really invested in us to see how our actions can be perceived by others and how we perceive others' actions. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was a really interesting experience to Mm -hmm. be shown those things, which I don't think is common in the engineering space. So from my perspective, I came into an environment where I did feel empowered to be a woman and be my true self and not have any intimidation or different factors that you might experience being a woman in a male-heavy space. But actually one of the experiences before I entered my professional career was actually at the University of Akron. Of course, being a female, most of my classmates were male. And during my senior year, we wanted to do a peer review for our ASCE leadership group. It's important to me to always have feedback so we can always learn to improve. Mm -hmm. And this was actually the first time that I had any feedback of how others perceived me as a woman in a leadership position. Mm -hmm. I was a bit of a firecracker back then. So I did get some traditional or what you might women in leadership positions often get called of Mm -hmm. bossy. Looking back at how I might have been acting in a leadership position, I probably was a little Mm -hmm. bit bossy, but that feedback was incredibly valuable to just see how others may have perceived my actions. I never felt that I was bossy. But as a woman, sometimes in leadership positions, there are different ways that you're perceived. Um, Mm -hmm. But that feedback makes me kind of just be aware of how others may perceive what I'm doing. I don't shy away from leadership positions, but now I'm just more aware of how others may perceive me. And I always make sure that when I go into those situations, I do everything in the most professional way that I can because I do try to combat any subconscious bias that someone may have to create a really good working environment.
1: So what has it been like working with other women in a predominantly male-dominated environment?
2: I think that when I first started versus now, the environment I have working with other women has kind of changed. And what I mean by that is that when I first started in the investment banking field, it is still more male dominated. It's much more even than some engineering spaces, but there's still a male dominated place. And when I started, I had another female who was on my team. And because we were both trying to prove ourselves in this environment of Mm. more males in our space, we were always trying to, you know, get the next project or show what the work we were doing. And it became kind of a competitive relationship, which was looking back, not helpful. We eventually had kind of a moment where we were like, you know what, we're both trying to prove ourselves as women, we both understand the situation that we are coming into how we want the rest of our colleagues to perceive us how to keep progressing in the company. So we eventually said, Hey, let's work together on things. And the moment we did that, we made so much more progress not only with the projects we were working on separately, but we also came together a lot and thought of ideas that we might not have separately. So that was a really important experience for me is that mm-hmm. you know sometimes women, we do feel that we do need to prove ourselves. And mm-hmm. sometimes we even try to do that with other women because mm-hmm. it's just how we're trying to make sure that we're seeing our work is being acknowledged. So now I always make sure that Whenever I'm working with women, there's always that support for each other, whether it's very direct and saying, hey, I got your back for this. Or, hey, let's go grab a cup of coffee. Let's talk about this. Let's be on each other's side. Or if it's more indirectly, being able to support other women in the workspace is really important.
1: Was there like any people who helped you as far as coaching or mentorship or even sponsorship? And how did you go about finding them?
2: So within my company, there was a women's network Mm -hmm. where there would be some events of networking sessions with other women or presentations about the work they were doing or different things like that. So that was one way for me to get to know other women and create a kind of network across the company. But as for seeking out mentorship or sponsorship, this was something that I personally found that I wanted to find those individuals on my own. There's always some skills or some things that you want to work on. Like, I sometimes can be shy in meetings. So if there was a woman that maybe presented and I was like, wow, I'm really impressed with how they covered their topic and they handled the questions, I would reach out to them and say, hey, you know, I really enjoyed that. Can we get together and can I ask you some questions? Mm -hmm. So there was particularly one of the women who ended up being one of my managers throughout my career, who was kind of one of those people that I sought out because there was something that I saw that's something that I want to work on, or I want to be able to do that someday. So a lot of times mentorship or sponsorship came from me seeking out someone who I thought was doing really well. Those were some of the most meaningful relationships for me, and I still talk to some of those people today. As a board of directors, I guess you could call it for myself. Mm-hmm. Whenever I'm challenged with a work problem, I have a presentation, there's still individuals that I reach out to and say, hey, can I draft this presentation with you? or or, hey, what do you think about this? Having a board of directors with other women is kind of a great sounding board to just work through different things that you'll encounter in your professional career.
1: Mm-hmm. So you found these you know, women just through your lived experiences and witnessing them. It wasn't like any extensive research.
2: Yeah, like for me, it was just kind of a, hey, if there's any bit of interest, I'd reach out. There's also ways that you can sign up for a mentorship program or there's opportunities to network in different places but for me what really drove a strong relationship was having something in common or having something to specifically ask them that made me feel more comfortable about approaching that person Mm -hmm. there's also opportunities outside of work asce for example when i was in utah i did join the asce younger members group so we did have an opportunity to network there made a lot of good friends that way as well many of whom were also women We will get back to Connie Griffith's story in just a moment. But first, I want to thank you for listening to this Diverse Engineering Podcast series. My name is Keridan Morgan, and I'm able to attend the University of Akron because of the women in engineering scholarships that I have received. These scholarships, which are offered through the College of Engineering and Polymer Science, make a huge impact in my academic success by reducing my financial need. If you would like to make a difference in another female engineering student's academic career, please text WIE to or give online at uacron.edu forward slash giving forward slash
0: W-I-E.
1: So I'm going to switch gears a little bit to what you're doing now. So what does it mean to be a data product manager?
2: A data product manager, as the title alludes to is very data heavy. So, data is everywhere within the world. It's becoming more and more of an important aspect of different businesses in order to make data driven decisions, to provide insights on where to take the business, how to capitalize on different opportunities. So, what a data product manager is, is essentially driving data to deliver results for a different business within the traditional product manager the goal is to drive the strategy of that product to gain traction to build more revenue for the company get more users using that data it's more of a newer type of product manager within the space data product managers are becoming a more and more common title for new job opportunities data is everywhere so my data product manager role that I'm in now um, was kind of the first role that this company had hired specifically for a data product manager.
1: So you're kind of like an insight strategist or, or something like that? Like you're able to look at the information and say, we should be going Apple or green this you know season. Obviously, you're not doing that in your particular industry, but something like that.
2: Yeah. So with data, there's a lot of wrangling that you have to do in order to make sense of the Mm -hmm. data. So what Mm -hmm. I do now is to essentially create a path to make sense of big data. Mm -hmm. Within big data, there's a lot of outliers. You need algorithms in order to really understand and drive benefits from those data attributes. So my job is to identify opportunities for us to streamline the data that we have, investigate this new opportunity. What is the data telling us over here? Do we need another process or algorithm? or business rules to give these users what they're looking for here, using the data to provide opportunities for others to interact with it so that we can make better decisions for the business.
1: So you've been in this role for not even two months yet. I was just kind of curious, like how you feel at the prospect of new opportunities that you may or may not have had experience in, how do you feel when you're about to begin a new role?
2: I have had two different experiences in looking for new roles or new jobs. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning of my career, my transition from being a data analyst to on the project design team or a product engineer, often those were people tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, you're really good at this. I think you can be good in this role. When those opportunities arose, you come in more confident because someone said, hey, I think you would be good for this. So mm-hmm. those transitions for me were really easy because I had confidence going into them. Mm-hmm. However, this last change, it was personal. I wanted to make this change. That was more intimidating. You know, mm-hmm. In my previous roles, I wasn't actually a data product manager, but that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So in those situations, I had to kind of sell myself of how do my ex- past experiences make me a great candidate for this role. So a lot of times if their job description is X, you might not have X on your resume, Mm -hmm. but because of your past experiences, you can really frame how your past experiences will make you a great candidate for a new role that you may aspire to. Mm -hmm. So for me, my past roles, I got to see a data product from the front end to how users interact with it, but how the actual technology works and how the code works to build it. As a product manager, knowing your product the technical components to be able to deliver results is extremely important. If you can use your past experiences to sell yourself for a new role, there really is a lot of opportunities. if you're interested in something new to be able to use your past experiences, even though they might not be exactly what the company is looking for mm-hmm. until they meet you.
1: Mm-hmm. So you talked about how you like we able to communicate how your past experiences would be of value in a new role. And then also like when people approach you about you know, an opportunity, like you have more of that confidence. Was there any doubt when it was something that like you wanted to explore, even though you might have had the story of why you would have been a good candidate for this new role?
2: Yeah. In those situations where you might be interested in something, but you're not really sure how your skills line up or if even your skills work for the role, that's when I kind of do two things. So for even this data product manager role, I did a lot of research. I -hmm. watched some YouTube videos, uh, learned from people, about what they do in their day-to-day job i also talked to a former colleague who was a product manager get to learn more about what they do by learning more about what that job Or that role actually is, not from just the job description, but what do they actually do? Mm -hmm. I was able to find more ways that my skills align. This job requires a lot of problem solving or this job requires a lot of initiative to drive things on your own. Mm -hmm. Let me pull some of those experiences from my past work and make sure that I highlight those for this new role so that the interviewer can even see how my experiences might not be exactly what they're looking for, but the skills they're looking for are what I have and Mm -hmm. gave me confidence to kind of pursue those roles.
1: Are there any current industry trends in data and product management that you're excited about in your industry?
2: Yeah. So as I mentioned, like data is everywhere. Mm -hmm. Once you grasp the surface of where is data used, It is absolutely incredible how many places data is used and how important it is. So what excites me the most and what's really trending is that data is becoming more and more important for companies to thrive. We are not using your data to make decisions or to drive different strategies. It's really hard to keep up. Mm -hmm. so one of the most exciting things for this because it's becoming more and more important there's so many new things happening there's lots Mm -hmm. of new technologies there's a lot of networking and presentations you can go to to learn about other data products of how other organizations are using their data to make decisions so it's really exciting very on the cutting edge of new things coming into this space which is something that i love i love continuing to learn. So having the opportunity to always be able to learn something new is what's really exciting and growing in the industry.
1: Mm-hmm. So, you know, we talked about like trends, like what is your desire impact or your desired reputation for when it all is said and done?
2: Within data, data is everywhere. So the context of what you're working on can really be transferable. I went from investment banking to now use car data. Data is so transferable. So what I want to do when I get older is I would love to be able to use my skills as a data product manager in the industry of sustainability. That's mm-hmm. another area where there's a lot of momentum and technologies taking off to create a more sustainable world. Outside of work, that's something that I've grown passionate about in my own life so that's kind of my dream role that I might be able to find someday is being able to put my passions outside of work along with the skills that I've gained from my incredible experiences so far
1: oh wow so you want to help make the world a greener place (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) so my final question is what can we catch you doing for fun
2: Yeah, outside of work, uh, I love to do a lot of different things. I really like to cook. My husband loves that. You know, I never really make the same dinner twice. I really like exploring in the kitchen. I also like exploring outside of uh, the kitchen outside. I love running. I actually just ran my first marathon this year. So I love to get outside, um, doing outdoor activities, going camping. I just love to be outside.
1: Are there any last sentiments or advice that you'd like to share?
2: One of the main things about my experience is that I didn't have many traditional experiences in my career as maybe others in engineering that didn't come because I hated engineering, not at all, Mm -hmm. but I just wanted to highlight that, you know, when you're in school for engineering, you might have the opportunities to do co-ops. I fortunately had the opportunity to do two. I had one in design and one in construction. Those Mm -hmm. experiences really were incredibly valuable for figuring out what I wanted to pursue in my career. Some people might have those co-ops and say, you know what, I don't know if this is exactly what I want to do. Mm -hmm. But what I'd say in those situations is that if you're still really good at your schoolwork, you're still somewhat interested, do not let one experience deter you from finishing out your engineering role. Mm -hmm. I'm an example of, you know, you can do a lot with an engineering degree that you may not even know is an opportunity to you when you're going through your program. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that I'd like to share with others is that engineering is an incredible field, whether you pursue an actual engineering role, and that is fantastic. Mm -hmm. But there are also opportunities. If you find out that maybe your senior year, you're not quite sure this is what you want to do that is okay. So I strongly encourage you know if you're in the program and you're doing well and you're in towards the end and apply your problem-solving skills, your design skills, things that you learn from your education, into the world around you because there's so many companies now they look for diversity and if you can elaborate on your experiences as a problem solver i mean who doesn't want to hire someone who's going to help them fix their problems so it's a great thing to really do so that's kind of the one thing that i like to share with others when they ask me you went to school for civil engineering you're not doing that at all how does Mm -hmm. that happen there's so many opportunities lots of companies like people who solve problems Mm -hmm. so those are things that i share with
1: people Well, I definitely want to thank you so much for your time. I definitely relate on the wanting to see how things actually show up in the real world, seeing that real world impact and am inspired by how ambitious you are. You can even hear it in the way that you talk and not just the things that you've explained that you've done. So definitely admirable. Want to thank you for your time. Just one more time. Thank you. Thank you to Connie for her reflections and for her time today.
0: We hope that you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Diverse Engineering, Women Engineers Through the Decades. I want to thank Bridgestone Americas, Continental Contatech, and the GPD Group for their generous support of this podcast series. If you'd like to help ease the financial burden of our diverse students within the Women in Engineering program, please consider donating. We need the help of community sponsors and listeners like you to support our Women in Engineering program. To donate, text WIE to 71777 or give online at www.uakron.edu slash giving slash WIE. Lastly, thank you to podcast host Ebony Bond, podcast editor David Campbell, WZIP manager Chris Kepler, and the College of Engineering and Polymer Science for making this podcast a reality. This has been Dr. Gary Miller, President of the University of Akron. Remember to aim high and rise higher. Go Zips!